Hello, I'm Conrad Westmuth and I played Kerry's in the Eighth Doctor stories. You're listening to the Power of Three podcast. I'm not in these stories, but people are going to talk about them. But, you know, listen to them anyway. And that jarring cacophony tells you it's time for another exciting episode of the Power of Three podcast. Although it's only the Power of Two today. Today you've got myself, Kenny Smith, and I'm joined by my friend, colleague, podcast buddy, and mate of about 23, 24 years. It's me. It's only that blooming David Steele. Hello, everyone. Hope you're well. Good Hello, to be that back. David Steele. How's the Liberal <laughs> Democrats these days? I don't, I'm not really too sure. We should ask our, our friend, that David Owen, see if he knows. <laughs> yes, they should. <laughs> oh, oh, such a choice, Jake. Better explain to our listeners today that Tom can't join us today as he's away for his Vortisor flying lessons. He's He's been trying to take these up, um, having listened to what we're about to discuss. As I, I wondered what all the noise was. Yeah, it's that flapping and screeching. Yeah, and all the people were sort of running about and screaming and Right, because I think he tried to buzz bomb my building. Actually, Tom lives very close to me, listeners. That's interesting, right? That 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 answers that question. Then we've not got Tom, so why don't you tell everybody what we are going to discuss today, Dave? Well, Kerry, um, <laughs> what we're discussing today, but rather rather sort of um, unbelievably, it's been twenty years since Paul McGann's first stories as the Eighth Doctor for Big Finish were released. Twenty years. So, um, in the build up to obviously the Ninth Doctor's stories coming out, you know. It's, it felt like a good time to sort of commemorate that and, and to talk about it a little bit. Absolutely. So where were you 20 years ago when Doctor Who magazine first exclusively revealed the return of Paul McGann as the Doctor? I was working in HMV or Gale Street, a bit of a golden age, a bit of a, of a, a glory period. Um, I was working at the singles counter, which was not a, a not a counter for um, those people who weren't in relationships or those people who were unattached. It was for the, um, for the CD single and the vinyl single and... And all that, and um, it was it was a good time. Um, I remember the rumours about it very, very strongly. I remember. I think I might have talked about this on a, on a podcast before. I'm not sure. Possibly when we did the apocalypse element a while ago. Um, I was at a convention in 2000, and they played played a, a trail of the apocalypse element, and um, during a big Finnish panel. And one of the things they talked about was one of the questions that was asked was, "Are they likely to get Paul McGann?" And Gary Russell very tactfully danced around the answer and sort of said they were really hopeful it was something they would like to do. He, he was he was brilliant at the way the way he did it actually. Um didn't really give any kind of sense of you know false hope you know to try and get anyone too excited but at the same time really give a sense that, that they were they were actively pursuing it. And then you know a few months later when the apocalypse element was released, what they used to do was in the big finish series was they put the trailers at the end. So you, what we used to do as fans rather than listen to the story when it was released, we'd skip to the end and listen to the trailer first. So I remember doing that with the apocalypse element and actually not starting the story for a few days. And then my friend Tony messaging me, probably phoned me actually in those days before everyone had mobile phones and said, have you heard the trailer yet? And I went, what trailer? Went, the McGann trailer. And I went, what? And he said, it's at the start of the apocalypse element, not the end. <laughs> so that was another brilliant bit of playing from BF. So yes, sticking it on. And man, I must have listened to that trailer about a thousand times. And I still remember the, the announcement came that Paul was going to do these stories came very very soon after that convention which I think was around about May 2000 possibly so it was obvious that you know 
even as Gary Russell sort of was on stage and trying to downplay it so as um not to to have people too hyped up or to raise people's expe- expectations too high, they really were working on it and, and they had a plan. So it was um it was so exciting because you know I think a lot of us by that point and I'm I am rabbiting on a bit here, listeners. I do apologise. I think a lot of us at that point had kind of given up that Doctor Who would ever come back on television because the the TV movie, although we'd liked it and it done quite well in Britain, hadn't set the world on fire. And and we were enjoying that what Big Finish were doing, but the idea that Paul McGann would do it was really the sense that we were going to get new stories and a continuation, and that was the most exciting thing about it. It was new, proper new Doctor Who. How was yeah. your experience of it all? I mean, I remember being super excited when I read about it. Again, I remember we'd heard it rumoured and you know discussed in the pub, but I mean, the thought of new Doctor Who happening and actually being through the, the medium of audio, it just was inconceivable in those days. And when mm. you think about it now, it's still inconceivable to think that the new ongoing series of Doctor Who was from Big Finish. It wasn't on the telly. That was your current Doctor. And the current yeah. Doctor's newest stories were exclusively on audio. And they were yeah. being produced by the BBC. They'd been, they were being produced by a licensed company. And it's just, it's quite, you know, contextually, it's, it's very hard sort of, I'd imagine listeners who've come to the TV series today would find that quite hard to get their heads around. And yeah, it definitely was definitely. such an exciting time. We didn't know what was going to happen because, as Gary had said, they couldn't kill off Ace or Tegan or whoever because they knew what their storylines were, where they started and where they finished, but they could add in the bits in between. So that made it, you know, dangerous. Yeah. Anything could happen to Charlie, anything could happen to the Doctor. Mm-hmm. And that made it so exciting. I mean, at the time I was working at the Bride News as a reporter, and it was just all so exciting. In fact, let's listen to that original trailer now, shall we, Dave? Yes, brilliant idea. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. Have you ever heard of the R101? An airship, right? Hundreds of years ago. 1930. It crashed. I was aboard it, but I wasn't. Okay. I can see the flames in my mind's eye, feel them as everything crashed around us, dying. But I wasn't actually there. I was flying on the back of Ramsey to the TARDIS. Ramsey? A Vortisaur. I'm losing the plot, honey. A sort of dinosaur bird thing. Then again, maybe there isn't a plot. We left Earth in the TARDIS. We've been on spaceships, to Venice in the future, to other planets, other worlds. But there's something else. Something missing. What? (gasps) The Doctor! Where's the Doctor? There isn't any such thing as magic, Doctor. Nothing is going to happen here. The pattern is set. Geronimo? Lenin's pyjamas, tiddlywinks with the Tsarina, and now you can see the future. <laughs> Come on, Doctor. You are pulling my leg. Who are you really? <laughs> you two aren't like the others. Oh, you're listening. I am Pietro. Charlie. And he's the Doctor, asleep over there. Now, who exactly are you, and just how do you come to be aboard my airship? Steward, what do you mean by bringing some long-haired stowaway into the VIP lounge? Sometimes he's downright rude. He forgets about things like good manners and introductions. I'm Charlie Pollard, and he's the Doctor. Who the devil are you, sir? This here is the Doctor. Doctor? What Doctor? We don't have a Doctor on board. Command, clearance, verified. Search parameters accepted. Initiate search. Database now searching for files. Search complete. Recognition. Doctor Tardis. Intriguing. 
do tell. Your friend the doctor seems to be behind this, Charlie. <laughs> He's causing quite a stir. He's very good at that. I need to talk. What about those two? What? So, you're the murderers. Shut up! Who are you? Do go on, Doctor. I have no idea who you are, but you are being extremely diverting. This moral discussion is irrelevant. Secure him. Let him go! Silence! Take these humans to the commercial chamber. The Doctor will be frozen. What about the Earth Alliance's proposition? It is meaningless. Ah. Oh. Is that the greetings over with? I can do this too. How? That's good, isn't it? Geronimo taught me that. How? Well, you got the hang of it already. Charlie, look there. It's the Doctor. Poor fellow. Shallow breathing. He's in a coma of some sort. Doctor, if only I'd realised when you spoke to me yesterday from your cell. If only I could have done something to help you. Well, that's comforting to hear. Doctor! Doctor, but... Hello, Charlie. I see you've met my best friend. Ah, uh, I thought I was your best friend. Ah, uh, listen to myself. Don't tell people they're your best friend. How are you, Doctor? Good to see you. I should have guessed it was you. Just didn't dream of seeing you here. Alistair, you're looking younger every day. <laughs> Now then, both of you, I'd quite like to leave this dreadful place, and you can, um, what's the vernacular here? Oh, yes, bring me up to speed. By the way, Alistair, thank you. Uh, what for? Looking after Charlie for a start, but also just for being here. I feel a lot safer now. <laughs> well, I do declare, you might just be the oddest man I've ever met. You know, that's just what the Empress Alexandra said. Still, I'm the Doctor, by the way. Oh, I'm Charlotte. Charlotte Pollard. Charlie to my friends. Well, then it's Charlie. Tell you what, should we explore? Where's the doctor? So quotable. So quotable. Uh, the, um, the line, and I've said this before, the line that me and my pal Tony Nixon used all the time, um, often to other people's sort of exasperation, was, you know, thank you for being here. I feel a lot safer now. <laughs> that was my favourite. Another one, Merchford. Merchford. <laughs> That's the other one that sticks in my head. It's yeah. insane. How many, I must have listened to that trailer about a thousand times in the build-up to those stories coming out. Absolutely so the same. And that, that was the other thing we should say as well. The, we got the trailer, um, we got the announcement, but it was, it was still quite a while before the stories came out. How did you How did you get hold of the first one, Storm Warning, yourself? How did you get hold of I it? Was, I was a big Finnish subscriber um, and had right. been since The Fearmonger. Um, well, no, actually, it was It was the one after The Fearmonger. Um, so The Fearmonger's... So yes, it was... Um, Marian Conspiracy was my first subscribed story because I'd ordered Fearmonger and I didn't get an acknowledgement email so I ordered it again so I ended up getting two copies of it and oh, no. I returned it and Big Finish refunded it lovingly well obviously maybe not lovingly uh, but uh, they refunded it and they understood there'd been a mistake but they got a subscription from me because that because of that great customer service um right. now let me think let me think yes I was very excited in the run-up to this because obviously we heard the the trailers started to appear one by one for the various stories and we began with Storm Warning, and the trailer for that sounds like this. Doctor Who, Storm Warning. Memoirs of an Edwardian Adventuress by Charlotte E. Pollard. Chapter One. Candy floss clouds scattered as the mighty dirigible soared into the black night sky. Raise your glasses, gentlemen. I give you the R101. The R101. Ah, frailing. Over here, man, over here. 
wouldn't be singing our praises, Lord Tamworth, if they knew that this ship hadn't completed its trial. Shh, shh, shh. Not having this, not again. Safe as houses. On paper, sir. On paper. Incredible. A time ship crashing. And again. And again. I watched as the full moon shimmered into view, casting silver rays about the cabin when... Oh no, Vortisor swarming to pick over the debris. Get away from there, you vultures! Leave that wreck in peace! I need you, Freyling. The Prime Minister needs you. Your king and your country need you to be stout, dependable and strong. It's just like I say, if I remember my Earth history correctly, the R-101 airship took to the skies for her maiden voyage to India early in October 1930. Yes, and? And crashed in flames in France during a storm in the early hours of the next morning, killing everyone aboard. By something. Never mind that now, Failing. Look what that silly ass has done to me best mess trousers. Oh, look, I'm really very sorry. I couldn't. I mean, I've. Uh... Whoops. Now, who exactly are you, and just how do you come to be aboard my airship? Is that the greetings over with? <laughs> I'm the doctor, by the way. Oh, I'm Charlotte. Charlotte Pollard. Charlie to my friends. But it might be worth keeping an eye on that one as our little adventure progresses. They're breaking through. They're. God speed you on your way, airship R101, and God bless your passengers, the true masters of the air. And let's be honest, Dave, having yes. heard that, who wouldn't want to buy it? Absolutely. I mean, I remember um, I didn't subscribe or order them from Big Finish, because I, I, I bought most of my early ones in Forbidden Planet in, in Glasgow and Buchanan Street, and I remember um, the, the week it was due, even though I'd, I had I'd worked I had worked in the shop and was in most days, I kind of like I remember phoning the you know in fact I didn't even phone the shop I got someone else to phone the shop for me because I was too embarrassed because I was such an <laughs> eager fanboy. I got someone else in the shop to phone FP and sort of find out if they had it in yet. Possibly because I don't maybe it was was it like, I mean it was twenty years ago so had I phoned earlier in the day and then got someone else to phone in the afternoon. My anticipation was so huge. I mean um, I think it probably got it eventually the Tuesday or the Wednesday. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, I, I remember talking about it a lot to my pals at work, whereas the, where, to the point where the stuff about Ramsey not being well became a, a bit of a running gag <laughs> that I would get teased about. I wouldn't say the sort of things that were said about Ramsey because they might be, they'd probably be seen as inappropriate. <laughs> but, you know, it was, it was just, it was too exciting. It really yeah, was. I get that. I mean, I was... As I was a subscriber, I was obviously waiting by my letterbox every yeah. morning. And these were the days when you could expect the post to be delivered by half past eight in the morning. And I would leave work, I would leave the house just after half eight to drive up the road and right. waiting and waiting and Mr. Farrell, the postie, to, to bring stuff. Nothing and nothing. And then finally the the white padded envelope arrived and inside was my storm warning. So I got into my Suzuki Vitara and had my my discman, as it was, sitting in the passenger right. seat, loaded Excellent. up and popped in the CD. And you've got the ah, Tardis Manual, Tardis Manual McGann doing his narrated intro. Uh, right, and, yeah. Uh, um, and a then, ship crashing again uh, and again. <laughs> we'd heard the preview of episode one with DWM, which came with the last of the Titans, which had been super. So it's dead. Completely forgotten about that. Wow. <laughs> the thing I remember, like, I had moved into my, I'd finally got my own flat sorted out and moved out of, of home and all that, sort of around about the start of December 2000. 
So a lot of my memories of then there was an awful lot going on, and I had completely forgotten about the about the preview. That that's right. Wow, it was good. It was, <laughs> it was so much fun. I mean, really, that. I mean, I obviously as a subscriber, I'd been a fan of Big Finish and was loving it. And I, I've mentioned recently elsewhere that this really made me into a fan of Big Finish because I thought this is the way to do it. Storm warning is just so perfectly paced. I mean, it's so fast. It's furious. The first two episodes are absolutely breakneck. We get the doctors on the move all the time. Uh, we've got Charlie introduced really, really quickly and absolutely adorable from the word go. Merchford and all that, as you said earlier. It's <laughs> It's yeah. just a wonderful, wonderful script from Alan Barnes. I mean, to my shame, I'd never even heard of the R101 before this. Had you? Really? I'd heard of it. I think my main context for it, was like a lot of things actually in life, was through a Monty Python sketch. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's just um, the R101 disaster. <laughs> so, yeah, um, it's interesting. I, I hadn't listened to it for, you know, I listened to it obviously in preparation for doing the podcast. I hadn't listened to it in a very, very long time. And I'm going to be, I'm going to be brutally honest when I talk about these stories in the, in the here and now. I mentioned on Twitter that I was listening to it and, and, and our good pal Trevor Baxendale sort of commented, replied to my tweet sort of saying that he must have said he, he must have listened to it a hundred times. And I think I must have done too because it was huge, massive chunks of the dialogue. That I, that I found out was not exactly reciting, but I remembered exactly how they played out. And I hadn't listened to this story in a very long time. I felt it, I, I mean, I enjoyed it. The um, the opening scenes, the opening episodes were terrific. The, the stuff on the, the final episode when the people in the, the ship are aware that they're facing their destiny. I thought, though, that, um, and this is a problem I had with a lot of the early Big Finish stories, and you're only, I think, you become kind of heightened and aware of it when you listen back to the maybe the first couple of dozen that they did that the pacing I felt isn't the best I felt really ground to a halt in episode three when episode three was really just exposition city New Jersey you know there's all these all the you know interrogator prime and all that is that that's not right is it yeah there's the, got prime. the engineer prime yeah and uh, the other creator prime and such like yep I was I wasn't sure if that was one of the Daleks. I mean, I recently couldn't remember the length of time spent sort of ex explaining all of that. And I felt it, you know, there was an awful lot of talking and not a lot of action in episode three. So I felt it was a little, a little uneven. And um, and it was a long time, I think, before. And I'll, I will I'll probably make the same point again in each of the stories we're going to talk about. I felt it was a long time before Big Finish really got disciplined and the writing got tight enough that you weren't getting, you know, overly long episodes with lots of lots of exposition as opposed to incident and plot. Now, I mean, I mean it's the I think when it, actually when Alan Barnes really properly took over um, the main range of script editor, it, it became a lot tighter. You know, because if you're going to do a four part Doctor Who story, it's so well we're so well used to the the 25 minute format that I kind of twitch a little bit if it goes beyond that. I mean, there was one episode, there was one story, I can't remember the title of it now, a first Doctor story in the Early Adventures series a few years ago, which drove me to distraction because the episodes were so long and I just felt unnecessarily long. They just really got in the way of, you know, of the story because there was just so much yapping. Interesting. <laughs> I regarded it as, you know, following, I don't know if you remember the, DWM article about four-part stories, which David Darlington and Alistair McGowan, our old friends in Glasgow, did. Yeah. And to me, Storm Warning perfectly follows the structure. You've got, you know, the introduction in episode one, setting the location up, and episode uh -huh. two as well, continuing that with the characters. Whereas episode three, it slows down a bit just to get, you know, let everybody catch their breath. 
it you know, gives fills in the background. Yes, there is a bit yeah. of exposition in there. And then for episode four, the pace is back up when you've got the uncreators being released and yeah. breaking free. But I loved it. But let's let's talk for a minute about the main guest star in this story, Tamworth Lord himself, Mr. Gareth Thomas. How fantastic is he is the blustering, you're know, full of himself, but also with a bit of a heart, socialist minister for the oh. year. Yeah, he was terrific. And um, hidden depths and all that. And, you know, as the story plays out, and I'm assuming that most people that listen to the podcast will have will have heard the story by now. Um, I liked how it played out when it kind of revealed that he knew more than he was letting on initially. And, and the, I mean, that cliffhanger, is it a cliffhanger to episode two when the, you first see the flying saucers, so to speak? Yes, when it descends. Phenomenal. And... I mean, it was it was so exciting. Um, and as I say, Gareth obviously relishing it and, and seizing it. And um, yeah, I mean... And playing a Welshman, which was nice, because I just knew him as Blake, really, and Blake wasn't particularly Welsh. Every space city needs a Blake in it, or a Welshman <laughs> of some sort. Yeah, I mean, also, we should mention Barnaby Edwards' Rathbone. Just got that sneering, yeah. just that, he just sounds so great that it just he's absolutely, you can tell from the word go, there's something more to this character. And he's, he just, Barnaby plays it brilliantly with a sneer throughout. Absolutely love it. And who's the um, who's the other chap? Is it that is it, um, I think Nicholas Pegg plays? Oh, Freeling. Um, Freeling. Yeah, I always I'd forgotten that. Um, I kind of felt really sad when you know you get to the end of it. You know, oh, Freeling is going to die. I quite liked him. You know, he was a good guy. I mean, that was the brought the tragedy home that he'd become so likable, and then it's like, oh, <laughs> you yeah. know, the ship's going to crash. The good guys and the bad guys alike go down with the ship, unfortunately. And yeah. also, just a wee, before we move on, we worried about the music in this. I think it's fantastic. Alistair Locke, is, it sounds completely different from everything Big Finish music had been before then. And it's got that nod to Titanic, which isn't even intended. The Titanic of the air with the, just with the Sweet yeah. Dion tune virtually. But uh, yeah. love it. I think it sounds fantastic. And it really it is a little movie for me. Yeah, I mean, very much so. My I, again, the only the only problem I have with it at all is that it's slightly undisciplined and, and slightly overwritten. Um, they probably hadn't learned, I think, their craft well enough yet, which sounds so snobby because I've never written an audio drama in my life and I can't imagine. But they, I feel they got a lot better at telling a, a concise and sort of succinct and, and more dramatically paced sort of story. One thing we haven't talked about, of course, is the theme music. Oh, oh, glorious! I mean, that was. That was another really exciting part of it. I, I can remember very clearly, at the risk of sounding really pathetic here, listen, listening to the be just you know almost being overwhelmed at the closing, the full length closing version that played in episode four. Yes. It really brought you know when the mid late came in, and it really you know brought home that this was you know it was back. You know, because I mean David Arnold was it was a big deal. He still is, but he was a big deal Absolutely. in those days. I remember actually there was um, there was an I'm I'm sure I've still got the magazine so I'll, I'll photograph the article and put it in the socials so that, um, any listeners can have a look. He did a big interview in Mojo magazine where he talked about his favourite sort of TV themes and stuff. And one of the things he mentioned was that he'd just been commissioned to rework the Doctor Who theme for a, a new audio series. And I remember thinking, oh, this is pretty good. You know, he's given he's given Big Finish a, a bit of a plug in Mojo. That's nice of him. And that I mean that just Again, sort of showed you the fact how seriously it was being taken, and the fact that they got David Arnold, you know, who'd, who'd worked on James Bond by that point. He was a really big name, and it gave it gave the whole project an extra bit of clout and a bit of weight because he was involved. And I love the arrangement. Even I'm, even now, they still use it, which says it all. 
Yeah, the fact you got, did you ever buy the music CD with Eighth Doctor Audio Adventures with the full version of it? I don't think I did, actually. Oh, no. that's glorious. Sadly out of print now, but it's glorious. Yes, <laughs> all in all, I love Storm Warning. It's the one that made me a fan, but we'll come on to that. We'll, we'll come on to that later on as to the whole, when we look at the whole season. So next up, of course, before we discuss it, we've actually got a special guest to say hello to us, Dave. Okay, good. Here we go. Hi, I'm Michelle Livingstone, and I played Diva Jansen in Sword of Orion, and you're listening to The Power of Three. Well, I bet you never saw that coming. <laughs> Kenny knows everyone. Kenny, friend of the Styles Smith. <laughs> yep, Michelle Livingston, now living in Canada. Um, only did one big finish as Diva Jansen, but yeah, that's her. So we're now going to discuss the second story, which is Sword of Orion by Nicholas Briggs, and the trailer for that. Sounds exactly like this. Doctor Who, Sword of Orion. <laughs> this is better than I'd hoped for. Can't see any damage. I bet the weapon systems are in perfect condition. Those squaddies in the ride will give anything for high-class equipment. We are going to make a killing. No luck, then. <gasps> I thought for a moment you were going to cry out for help. Oh, how can you be so annoying? Anyone here dead? Negative. What have you got, Kelsey? Uh, something that sounds not nice. What's that? What? Stay where you are, Doctor. You saw something? Yes. Yes, yeah, something moving on the deck. Over there. It... Doctor? It's gone now. Why has my revival been delayed? Steve. This one, of course, had a bit of a reputation as being a classic from the audiovisuals range. For those who don't know, audiovisuals were a range of fan-produced audios with Nicholas Briggs as a doctor and written and produced, directed and so on by names such as Gary Russell and William Baggs and, of course, Nick Briggs himself. And these pretty much paved the way for Big Finish when things began. And this was adapted from one of the most popular audiovisuals with Cybermen on a freighter. So had you ever heard the audiovisual, Dave? Nope. I haven't heard any of the audiovisual versions of any of the stories. Am I right in thinking the mutant phase was also adapted? It was very loosely. Yeah. Very, very yeah. loosely. No, I'd, I'd never heard it. Um, I mean, had you heard it? Is it, is it very, are they very similar? They're similar but different in many, many ways. I mean, it's, it's a from-the-ground rewrite, but right. the, the same story is pretty much there. The freighter in space and... The, you know, the captain and those Cybermen who are invading. Right. I mean, at the time, because I enjoyed the original, I actually found this is going to sound ridiculous. I actually found it quite difficult to adjust to the Big Finish version. But okay. that was just me being my young, stubborn self. And um, because I mean, Diva in the original is she's very much the Diva. You can imagine her being sort of like a more dynasty sort. Whereas the diva we get here is far more, a bit, you know, the efficient, cool businesswoman sort. So right. it's a, and, and she's beautifully played in both versions. But um, 
I mean, with hindsight, I absolutely love this version. It's it's just got so much depth, and it is. It does feel like we've we've had storm warnings, the big movie, the live act, you know, the, the dramatic, you know, human mm-hmm. story. Whereas here we go all sci-fi, and yeah. it's dark, it's moody, it's you know, you can hear the shadows. If that makes sense, yeah, no, that's, find that's a really good way. That's a really good way of putting it. Again, I would listening to it now. I did find parts of it a little slow moving, a little bloated. It, it took a long while to sort of kick off at the start. I think. I think if it was done nowadays, you know, the Doctor and Charlie would probably have got there a bit quicker. You know, I, I have a, another another memory which is unlocked concerning Sword of Orion. Um, Twenty years ago, we didn't all obviously have smartphones. There was no such thing as Facebook or Twitter. Or, or even MySpace at that point to kind of, you know, to promote and to make everyone aware of what was going on. I mean, you know, obviously we had a bit of a, a Twitter moment a couple of days ago when the, the season 24 Blu-ray was announced. Um, yep. Yeah, you know, but 20 years ago, we really, we got our news either through rumour or those who were in the know or or from Doctor Who magazine. There wasn't, the internet as a, as a thing wasn't anywhere near as established as it is now. But I, a memory which, which unlocked the other night when I was listening to Sword of Orion was that, um, and this is what we had to do in the old days, kids. It wasn't like you just opened Twitter and saw the, the, the iconic image or the, the new book cover or something. Our friend Tony, who I've mentioned a few times already, and we'll probably mention a few times more, he, so I think he'd perhaps got it from, I'm not sure, I don't know if it was, Gall- was Gallifrey base a thing in those days, or maybe it was Outpost Gallifrey. It would be Outpost sure. Gallifrey back then. Probably Outpost Gallifrey, but not, I mean, I wasn't online yet myself at that point. Um, I may have had an email address. I don't know if I was in the habit of going to the, the internet cafe in, in St. Vincent Street in Glasgow as often as I, as I did. Tony had got hold of the cover of, of Sword of Orion and he emailed it to my sister, who was at university in Aberdeen because she had a, she had a university email address. And Alison then printed it out and posted it to me <laughs> so I could see the cover prior to it being released. You know, now kids these days, you don't know you're born. <laughs> and I, I might even I might even still have that piece of paper somewhere. I'll have a look. Oh, that's gorgeous. Well, I'll I'll tell so I've that, got an anecdote. We'll come back to that later on. That would be um, that would be a nice little um bonus feature for for the listeners, I suppose. But I mean that that was my main my sort of main memory of the excitement of getting Tony to email the cover to Alison. Alison printing it out at university <laughs> and posting it at first class so yep. that would get it as soon as possible. I mean, this is what we had to do. You know, yeah. it's <laughs> I was quite lucky as my dad, he, for working from home, um, he had invested in a really good computer for the time and a damn right. good printer. So I was able to print these covers out as they were released. And it was so exciting with that beautiful bronze logo as well. Yeah, well, you we haven't even talked about that. Because obviously the first you know year and a half's worth of BF releases, they used the logo from the TV movie, was sort of you know heavily tinted blue. But that's right, the, it was tinted bronze to set it as a distinct range from the from the other stuff i remember a bit of controversy about that actually people being a bit mm, which um shows you that nothing has changed and the bbc weren't aware that they were going to do it and then afterwards that they agreed not to use it again right i also remember the um there was there was kerfuffle about the fact the spines of the cds had different color different colors they were black as opposed to the white yes. of the um the regular range and some people weren't happy about that you know <laughs> so i tell you you know, people being annoyed at um, the wrong photographs being used as reference on book for stories and as book covers. You know, you know, nothing has changed really. 
Lucy Holmes. <laughs> yes, Doctor Who fans will still be that pernickety. But no, listen, listening to the story again, I was I was struck by it. I mean, obviously Alien was a large influence on it, very atmospheric. And I think in many ways I probably would have probably got more of it more out of it this time, um, listening to it than I probably would at the time. Because I had to I really had to the first year or two, I really had to train myself to listen to Big Finish because I hadn't listened to a lot of radio drama. I remember actually actually writing notes. I would sit down, I had to, you know, nowadays I can do it whilst out of my walk or building something or making the tea or whatever, I can multitask. But in the early days of Big Finish, I found that I really had to concentrate on what I was, what I was listening to. And I remember writing notes for this one and actually for, um, for Stones of Venice. I think Stones of Venice was the last one that I did it for because I'd kind of trained my, myself to focus and pay attention. No, again, I, have, I can't lie. I found it a little bloated at points. The ending very, very abrupt, like a lot of early Big Finish ones. They hadn't quite nailed how to land the ending and wind them up properly in those days. But it was it was good. And I liked how the Cybermen sounded quite off shocky. Yes. That was quite good. Yeah, it was. And I remember talking to, oh, who could it have been? It must have been, it must have been David Darlington, I think, possibly, or maybe even yourself, actually, expressing a little doubt at, for, for the second story, how Charlie seemed very familiar with the Doctor already. I mean, maybe questioning that slightly. But, um, and I noticed that again this time. But no, it was, it was, I, it was great. Of course it was great. But as I've said already, I just found it was a little, a little bloated. Interesting, because I really enjoyed yeah. it. I think it's, it's very much, we've got the new Doctor and his speech patterns are nailed very much. You know, it, it feels like it's, you know, Paul McGann's Doctor. Oh, we've got, we've got sort of a new series, but in a, in a classic series format, and it's sort of it's a it's like a meld of the two. You've got yes the dynamism yeah, of the TV movie, and you've got you know fitting into the classic four part format. So I think it's an interesting fusion. I mean, for me, there's some yeah. really good characters in here. The fact that very quickly we get to know who the crew of the Vanguard are, and you know, as they get bumped off and killed, and I think Diva Jansen is a fantastic character. There's so much potential yeah. to her with all this. The whole I mean, there's the whole. The whole background, you know, with the Orion War, wonderful stuff. Of course. And then at the end, course, yeah. Diva get, obviously gets blown into space without her pack. And she's, I mean, for all we know, she could still be out there floating in space. Yeah, um, I mean, that's that's one thing I was going to ask you about. I've, one of the few things from that sort of early sort of period that I haven't listened to, um, the Cybermen series that they, they did, does that touch in on the Orion War or is that a separate... Oh, very much so it does, yep. It's very much right, part right, of the background right. to the whole of Cyberman and Cyberman 2. Thing. Where we've got, you know, there is the war with the androids. It's all mentioned in there, and it's you know, it's nice background stuff. It's not, yeah. you know, in your face, but it's very uh, much there, and it's it's a really really good series. I, I enjoyed it. I mean, people people love Dalek Empire because it was just so strong with the adventures of Albie Brute and Susan Mendes. Susan Mendes, for those who've heard it, will know exactly what I'm saying there, and. <laughs> It sounded like you were saying Susan Mendes. I was saying Susan <laughs> Mendes. Thanks. <laughs> I don't I've know why I like you so much, Dave. I've, <laughs> I've only heard the first series of Dalek Empire myself. Um, uh, but anyway, we're, we're, we're straying from the... Yes, but yes, it does tie yeah, in. Yeah. There are references to, to the Orion War and Cyberman. Right. Um, okay. I mean, for me, it's a good story. Absolutely solid. This is what Doctor Who is, and it's very much setting out... You're a new doctor, but the series is still the same, really. Yeah, that's fair. Of course, now the third story in this run was something that was completely different. As somebody may once have said, let's have a listen to the trailer for The Stones of Venice. 
Doctor Who, The Stones of Venice. Look at the state of this place. It's all seen better days. I'd be ashamed to have carpets like this. No wonder it's deserted. You don't think that she could save us? I do not think anything could save us, Your Grace. Just as well. Salvation is, I think, such a dull and worthy concept. The distant sound of ceremonials. I wonder if they're into sacrifice as well. They usually are at that time. Together at last. I'm here, my lord. Where have they gone? My guests, my people, they have fled. I can't blame them, really, Your Grace. No matter. I must find the portrait. How often you've called us amphibians, toads, fish people, yet none of you suspected the truth. Which is? And as for you lot, I don't carry weapons. I don't need them. And I must say, I think you treat your visitors here in a very shabby manner indeed. I'm glad I've managed to... I am to be joined with the Duke at dawn. No! to tell them I tried. Look, the hands of the clock are meeting. That's it then. It's dawn. And the clock chimes out for the death of Venice. And of course, the interesting thing about the Stones of Venice is that now, were you at the queue in Edinburgh's HMV on the 22nd of May 1996? No. I don't remember you being there. No, no, no. No, I was, I was um, 96 when the when the TV movie came out on VHS, um, I was working at I was still in, I was working at Abbey National at that point uh-huh. in, in Glasgow. Because yeah. quite a lot of us we gathered in the Queen's Arms pub from the Glasgow and Edinburgh Doctor Who groups, and we met up there and we get chucked out the pub, and then we went round to HMV to queue for the midnight opening to buy the VHS release of Doctor Who, the movie with Paul McGann, and one of the other people in the queue that night was Paul Mars, who of course is the writer. That of Doctor Who, The Stones of Venice. Of course. Which I think is, I love that connection, the fact that he was he was there the same night I yeah. was, didn't know who he was. And there's, there's, a, there's a lovely sort of symmetry in there or, or some sort of parallel. You know what I mean? There's, there's yeah, a nice, no, yeah, no. There's was, a nice he feel was, he that. Was there. He was there for the Eighth Doctor's arrival on the High Street, and then he was there for the Eighth Doctor's arrival on audio. I get exact. I completely understand what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. But it's completely different, the feel of this one. We've had um, the breakneck pace of Storm Warning. We've had the threat of Alien with this. And then we go something that's far more romantic feeling. It's a completely different pace. But there's still, it's just, just the atmosphere. I love how these stories all contrast with one another yeah. so far so quickly. Yeah, that's that's a point. I mean, this, I felt this one was very, um, but definitely a slow burner. And I can imagine, I mean, I was picturing an expensive widescreen epic, you know, or, you know, something like an old Hammer horror movie. And I'll come back to that point, like an old Hammer horror movie, but with a massive budget. That's true. Do you know, do you know what I mean? When I was wandering around Queen's Park listening to it during the week there, I was picturing, you know, McGann and India Fisher sort of on location in Venice, you know, budget of millions, all that sort of thing. It's what they say, the sets and the production values are always better in audio. And this was a really good story for sort of highlighting that. I mean, I was picturing the the, the crowds. I was picturing the the people coming out of the canal and attacking the you know the gondola. It was um an absolute and even this is sounds really silly because it was an audio, but it was a visual feast. You know, it was really mm-hmm. really well done. It just sort of 
you could picture the mildewed walls, that the water sort of lapping everywhere. It was um very well done. And as I say, I had to train myself to listen to the big finish. And this was the first one where it really kind of clicked in my head. And yes, uh, an audio movie is a great way of putting it. Definitely an audio movie, if you know what I mean. Yes, yeah, it's it's great. It's so. I mean, I think the fact that this story starts the Doctor and Charlie mid adventure, and that music from Russell Stone is just relentless. It's great. You've just we've got them under fire as they get back to the TARDIS, and then it just everything changes. The pace drops, and it's, it's there's something almost quite romantic about the score as well as they walk through the streets of Venice. And they're just, you know, finding the way around and, you know, meeting fantastic characters like Churchwell and, yes. and Duke Orsino. I mean, yes, it's quite obvious who uh, Estrella is, but it doesn't matter because it just... I had... It's, it's the feel of it all, isn't it? It's, mm. it's atmosphere, this one. I had forgot. I had forgotten that twist, to be honest. <laughs> but, I mean, again, I hadn't listened to it probably since at least 2001, maybe as late as 2002 or 2003. I hadn't listened to it in a very long time. So it was like, oh, I, of course. I mean, I re- once it was an, revealed, I, I remembered remembering it, you know. I have to say, I felt that, you know, to touch on what I said about Hammer movie, the ending was a complete rip-off of She. <laughs> as, they, as they step into the flames and grow together. I was like, hang on a minute, Paul Miles. What were you watching the night before you wrote this? <laughs> um, but no, it was, um, I, felt, I felt the ending let it down slightly. I can't lie. But it was very, absolutely loaded with atmosphere. Again, Sometimes. maybe, yeah. I mean, maybe it could have gotten to the point a bit quicker in places, but I think... It's a big. It's obviously written and played and put together as a, as a you know as a as a widescreen sprawling epic. What I was imagining looked terrific. It really did. Yeah, and it's, in fact, you can as you say, you can almost picture the damp and the mildew and the curtains yeah. sort of being slightly raggedy. Um, but, and it's a very interesting performance from Michael Shear as the Duke. I, I don't think stilted. It's a very unusual delivery that he gives, but it's still well, he's, still he's, charming. He's He's playing an old, a much older man, isn't he? Yeah. So I think that, that's probably something to do with it. Michael Shear's one of these people that I think he kind of, I think a lot of people got a bit fed up with him because of, you know, their perceived overexposure of him. But in a similar way to the way that a lot of people were very dismissive of John Persby for a long time in the 90s. But then now that he's no longer around, I think, you know, you sort of think, oh, Michael Sheard, what an old pro. What a, just what a good guy that he, he was. He absolutely took it seriously and played it seriously and matched it and, did what was required, you know? Yeah. And again, another good performance from Barnaby Edwards is Pietro, completely different from Rathbone in Storm Warning. You really wouldn't know yes. it was the same, the same person. Great wee rep cast. Definitely. Definitely. You know, and obviously by that one, India's get you can tell India's getting much more set. And am I, am I right in thinking that the, the scene at the start of the Doctor and Charlie sort of being pursued by the people with the guns and all that, was that not supposed to be the, the start of the first story and then they decided to write Charlie and a proper introductory story? No, Am I right no, thinking it was, no it was, this was the first story they recorded. And right, okay, right. The plan was to, right. give, was to give, I think it was briefly discussed, but by the right. time when they came to studio, it was like, no, we're definitely going to, we'll have other stories and things will be okay. underway. The Doctor and Charlie will be established and right. there's a start cool. point oh, to their journey. Which yeah, is, that might have been, been some misremembrance there on my part. That's cool. That's great. And I mean, McGann is just wonderful. There's so many references that almost make it feel new series when there's a line like, imagine, can you imagine being Liza Minnelli? <laughs> Things like that. And it's it's just, yeah. it's, it's so rich and colourful and it's it's just, it's sumptuous. That's, I think that's the, the word that I would best use to yeah. describe it. Yeah. 
and one one thing it must be said as well is we haven't really talked to him too much, but it's it's really obvious. Listen to the stories that Paul McGann himself was take was obviously taking it seriously, and I you know especially some of the dialogue in Minuet in Hell. I was sort of thinking, God, you're you're doing a very good job of making this sound natural, like you know, just natural speech rather than you know two and a half sides of A4 of exposition. You know, what I mean, it's it was. Really good listening to them again because the, obviously it's the first ones that he's done and he's done so much since and obviously in the last ten years or so with stuff like Dark Eyes and Doom Coalition and and Ravenous and Stranded and everything that he's done and obviously the Time War sets as well he's done so much for Big Finish so it was really interesting revisiting the very first ones that he did and seeing that right from the start he was doing stuff with the character that they've kept doing but it still felt like the guy that we'd seen on TV he's he's terrific I mean he's a, a this one really made me appreciate how good a voice actor he actually is. Yeah, I mean, it's the fact that he's imbues it with such energy. I mean, you can tell that yes. he's enjoying himself with these ones. He's absolutely buzzing to be back in the role, and he's having fun. And there's a lovely bond with Charlie, who's you know, carefully written. And, and the fact that Paul and India got on so well here is <laughs> so, so good. Yeah. They just bond very quickly. And you can believe, yeah, these are friends who are knocking about the universe in the TARDIS, having a laugh and, you know, great adventures as well. Absolutely. So that brings us to the fourth one then, doesn't it? It does. Should we take a listen to the trailer, Dave? Oh, yes, please. Yes, please. Doctor Who, Minuet in Hell. The legends of Gallifrey speak of a world where everything is horror. Horror and pain. A world from where there is no escape. From the creatures who crawl on the crust of the land. Of the lost, and the hopeless, and the broken, and the doomed. Strange chap, that one. If it's all right, I may pop back again tomorrow to check up on him. Fellow interests me. No problem, Mr. Lethbridge Stewart. Uh, tomorrow, any time. The legends of Gallifrey speak of a world in the name of the world they speak of. Hell. Hell is where I have come to last. And there can be no escape. And so I cannot escape my own hell. You're a bit of a sad case, aren't you? Brigadier Alistair Gordon Lethbridge Stewart. How can you go wrong with the brigadier along? Absolutely. This was um a genius move on the bit on the part of Big Finish, I think, getting getting Nicholas in so quickly. Because I think it um there were those of us who were always disappointed that, that Colin Baker never got to meet the brigadier properly on television, you know, outside of Dimension Time, obviously. And then when Big Finish did the Spectre of Lanyon Moore, it pleased a lot of people because we finally got a six Doctor and Brig story. And I love the fact that they they didn't mess about and they got Nicholas Courtney in straight away for the 8th Doctor. You know, Cybermen and, and the, the Brigadier right at the start, that was, it was a good move. It was a good move. It ticked, a lot, ticked off a lot of boxes and, you know, pushed a lot of buttons and made a lot of people very happy. Yes, absolutely agree. Of course, the story did have a, a bit of a torturous ring brought into existence with Alan W. Lear having written the audiovisuals version, which is completely different. We've got right. in that we've got Gideon Spoonbill, of course, Gideon Crane. So there's a, a keeping a Navian reference there in his name, but it's set sure. back in the original uh, Bedlam. There's Hellfire Clubs and things like that. So 
it was a, basically it's a from the ground rewrite in the way that Sword of Orion was very much you can you can look at the two and go yep you can see exactly that they're the same core story but this is very very different and because there was a lot of writing involved and Alan Weir unfortunately had ME and was very ill so he couldn't really write the way that he had previously in the, the late 80s early 90s when doing the audio visuals so right. he was not really able to do the full job that was expected and obviously Gary was Gary Russell was unaware when he'd commissioned him of this so he That's ended true. up having to right. do a, a big rewrite job to try and get the script finished and make some sort of sense which I think is why is one of the reasons why it's hugely overlong. Yeah, I mean, that, that was the thing. I, I, when I texted you the other night, when I was just about to start it, and the realisation that episode one was 45 minutes now, I just thought, guys, come on. Yep. <laughs> it really sums up, I think, that they hadn't learned the, the focus or the discipline or whatever at the early point. I mean, I really, I remember really enjoying Minuet in Hell when I, when it was first out. And I, I listened to it over, you know, Thursday and Friday and finished the last of it off literally 10 minutes before we started recording because there was so much of it and it was difficult to say what I thought could be cut out it definitely felt similar to what I felt with some of Storm Warning and sort of Ryan that there was an awful lot of verbiage that probably could have been quite easily condensed and maybe made a bit tighter because for, if, if you're doing if you're if you're trying to do a traditional four-part Doctor Who story but your first episode is the length of two episodes then maybe just rebrand it as a five-part story and jiggle things around a bit i don't know there were some really good ideas the doctor being mind warped to coin a phrase and the brigadier sort of there in that in a capacity and i think maybe it was maybe a little overstuffed it was maybe a little bit too much going on they could have cut maybe out of the three main threads of the the new the new american state and the hellfire club and the and the demon and the Doctor's mental troubles, they could have cut one of those out and maybe made it a little bit more streamlined. But yeah, I did not, at no point did I feel I was struggling to get through this, you know, two and a half hour epic, but maybe, they, you know, if it had been cut a little differently or paced a little differently, you know, it might have, they might have, you know, done themselves a favour. I mean, I'm right in thinking that they, they basically ran out of time recording yes. it. And yeah. That's right. They really ended up probably... having to mount another session in London in at the Moat Studios because these were recorded at Christchurch Studios in Bristol as they went to Paul McGann because they thought they'd get more time out of them if they went to yeah. him rather than losing travelling time for him, which sensible yeah. move. And yeah. because of that, uh, because of the overruns, because it was so long, they needed another day in studio just to complete it with the rest of the cast. They got all the McGann scenes in the can right. and and just remounted the rest in London to finish it off but the, cool. I just, there's a, there's so much going on in this you've got the Becky Lee demon fighting the Buffy the vampire slayer type stuff still never seen mm. that series and there's just yeah so many things Waldo Pickering uh with what's going on with Brigham Elijah Dashwood the third it's yeah it, and it, what I found very interesting listening again is the fact you've got somebody who's setting themselves up as a political leader who is mobilizing uh religious group as his support yeah. base to try and extend his power base i mean as if that would ever happen for real in the 21st century <laughs> yeah Hang on. yeah i know it was that was that was really interesting listening to that and just the sheer fluke that we're sort of listening to it again it's 20th anniversary and how much it mirrored a lot of you know what we've seen in the real world with he who will not be named i, I really i feel like i really want to heap a lot of praise on on minuet and hell it was another one that i felt i could visualize very easily and another one that I, I used to often think how nice it would have been if somehow 
after Big Finish had made these stories that the BBC had listened to them and thought, right, we need to film these. And they'd done them as big, long movies that went out over consecutive Sundays around about, you know, 2002 or 2003 or something. It was really nice revisiting this one. Again, so long, though. Yeah. <laughs> so long. Do you know my favourite scene, Dave? Tell me. Charlie in Red Leather. I, why did I know you were going to say that? Did I even think that when I was listening to it? Probably. Kept it, it likes us, but... <laughs> Amazing. Pretty little satin bottoms. <laughs> but it's very interesting how the, there's no way that this would get made now, just with all the the fact you've got those scenes set in a brothel and things like that. It's very um. Well, yeah. yeah I mean, they probably yeah. I mean, they probably wouldn't. That probably wouldn't get past the vetting process now. I imagine. But what I liked about it was it was very matter of fact. It wasn't laboured. It was it was presented as this is a thing that happens, and you know, quite adult as a result. So um, no, it was it was good. I, again, the only criticism that I have really for for the, for a lot of these is just they were they were just too long. If they were just a little bit tighter, they'd probably be a little bit more satisfying. Interesting. Well, all in all, I mean, I think there's there's lots to like in Minuet. I think the fact we've got Nick Courtney and and Paul McGann together, yeah. as you said, so good. Yeah. The fact that we've got, I mean, Gary Russell said that it was more important to have the Doctor meet the Brigadier than have the Doctor meet the Daleks, which I think is yeah. And yeah. again, that's a very 21st century, you know, Russell T kind of thinking. It's all about the human stories ahead of the monster stories. Yeah, definitely. Which I really enjoyed. Definitely. But of course, we're not the only ones who've been uh, commenting on these stories today, Dave, because before we started recording, I put out a little shout on Twitter to ask lovely followers for their thoughts. So here's the first one. We've got uh, John Porter commented, love the first two, really liked the David Arnold theme arrangement, but I have yet to listen to the following two. Go for it, John. We recommend it, as you've just heard here. Robert Dick says, I absolutely loved Minuet in Hell and was astonished to discover no one else did. It was easily my favourite of the four. Not heard it for years, though. Farouk says, my first big finish story. So obviously a lot of nostalgia here, but a fun introduction to the Eighth Doctor's first era and him and Charlie are instantly fun. Eight is just a Doctor, perfectly suited for historicals. We don't say eight in this podcast, Farouk. Also, I approve of any story that features space pterodactyls. Cannot beat a good Vortizor. Tin Dog Podcast, hello Tin Dog, says Charlie just shone from the start. I didn't like the theme tune much. What? Are you kidding? But that wasn't the end of the world. Comparing the audiovisuals with these is fun. And here we have Cliff, any voice work going Chapman, said, Really great experience. Loved it. Interesting story. Great cast. Even an Isle of Man reference. Obviously talking about storm warning there and the dry skilly. Frank Colosimo, uh, or Colosimo, I apologise if I've got the pronunciation wrong, uh, comments on the four stories. He says, storm warning, new doctor, new companion, fresh, fun and ready for the 21st century. Sword of Orion, new doctor, new companion. But don't forget, this is still the Doctor Who you've always loved. Here's a reminder. Stones of Venice, like waking up from a half-remembered dream. Standard Who viewed from an unexpected angle and all the more that's enjoyable really, for it. That's a really good way of putting it. Yeah, it had that slightly sort of, yes, aye. So I agree with that. <laughs> and his thoughts on Minuet in Hell, it's got the Brigadier in it. So at least there's that. <laughs> that's a bit harsh. It is um, a little bit. Right. Should read one from Alex Hargrave who says, I love all four stories, even Minuet in Hell. Sword of Orion is one of my favourite Cybermen stories. Stones of Venice is an all-time classic and the second best eighth Doctor Who audio. Number one is The Natural History of Fear. 
Okay, interesting. interesting. Here's um, one from how about one from Roy Gill, who of course has yep. gone on to write for the Eighth Doctor, friend of mine from Edinburgh in the Edinburgh Doctor Who group. Roy says, "I remember loving Stones of Venice. It's lyrical and strange and silly and fun. That whole season, the idea that New Doctor Who with Paul McGann was actually finally happening was just so so exciting." Absolutely, it really was. Um, right now, it's our guy Lambert next, and he's saying, "I remember slating the Cyberman story at the time." Laughing emoji, my younger self, my younger fan self, furious about it. Listen again recently, it's a super fun romp with Briggs channeling Earthshock vibes. Charlie really begins to work after a few stories, finding the right balance with McGann's doctor. Thanks, Guy. Like that, we've got um, Midnight Eternity 101. I remember listening to Storm Warning after the likes of Stranded One and being so utterly amazed at how Paul McGann was just as fantastic in his first audio as he is all these years later. Hence why he's my absolute favourite doctor on Big Finish. And that's an interesting point. We had a couple of people that replied to, to Kenny's tweet sort of saying that they hadn't listened to the, these early stories until quite recently. You know, they had heard of a lot of other stuff. First of all, I think it was, there was a tweet from someone who said, if I can find it, from Heather Challens. I hope I've pronounced your name properly, Heather. Apologies if I haven't. And she said, I also love Stones of Venice. I came to all in April 2019 and I listened to them in my dog walks. Just lovely getting to know a new doctor and Charlie, who I adore. Every episode was so different and Zagreus finally made sense. <laughs> so that was quite good. Um, I like that. Yes, don't, don't, don't start me in Zagreus. Got to grab this book, says, I remember being hugely excited at the prospect of an Eighth Doctor story arc. Storm warning struck me as very shouty initially, but I warmed to it on later listens. Sword of Orion is super... Not such a fan of Minuet in Hell, though, which seems to be a recurring theme. And Anastasia Narvin, lovingly derogatory, says the introduction of Charlie was such a work of art. She was such a good companion and one we really hadn't seen before. One from Ross McClellan saying it was no less than season 27. I didn't enjoy the TV movie, so it was great to hear how good McGann was. I used to listen to those Ellen McGann stories in bed, so I would visualise them a lot better than I do now that I listen while cooking. Storm Warning was a great opener. That's a good one. Yeah, Andrew Storr says, Storm Warning gripped me from the start. Charlie P was something we hadn't seen since Victoria W, a historical companion. The Sword of Orion, the one I was most looking forward to, the Cybermen's audio debut. Stones of Venice, anything with Michael Sheard gets my vote. And Minuet in Hell, bit unusual and long, but the brig is in it. Thumbs up. Awesome. Love that. A um, couple more. Uh, Rick Moran, who is in the Dwas, the Doctor Appreciation Society. I was so excited to hear these stories. Finally, some more actual Eighth Doctor. They didn't disappoint. Tremendous stuff. And I'll do one more from Nick Ford. And he's saying, absolutely bloody brilliant. Set the tone for the Eighth Doctor in a way that the TV movie hinted at, but never fully realised. Made him real and one of the best incarnations. Also, loved Charlie and still do. That's brilliant. Love it. Right. Two more for me, and then that'll be us. We've got one from Ken Holtzhauser. I can't convey how thrilling new Doctor Who was in those days. The initial four adventures are hit and miss, but Storm Warning is still one of my favourite Doctor Who stories. And we'll conclude with one from Oscar Groucho. A wonderful start for the Doctor, fashioned so much from an Edwardian archetype public perception of the role, to anchor him in real historical events and let his natural ebullience shine through by the conclusion we, like Charlie, can't wait to join him on his travels. Fantastic. Love Fantastic. that. Absolutely love that. Of course, um, those of you who are maybe are your newcomers to us, you can find out more about us here in the Power of Three. You can follow us on Twitter at Power of Three. That's the number three. You can find us on Facebook and like our page where you can comment, hopefully positively, on our latest episodes. And you can visit our website where you can find all of our past episodes as well. 
Well, of course, I should actually mention something's just popped into my head, which I yes. mentioned earlier. Back in 2001, I was on holiday in America with my friend Jonathan, and we had hired a car to drive from the south of Arizona up through Nevada to Las Vegas. And I, of course, being a naive British person, assumed, oh, that would just be a couple of hours drive, maybe three hours. Wrong. <laughs> it was virtually a full day. And right. Jonathan was my friend who I'd been over on holiday with. He had got absolutely hammered on our last night in Vegas. So he <laughs> slept in the car for the drive back to my uncle and aunt's house. And I had these CDs with me in my disc, which I had for the plane. And I gave them a listen. So Jonathan's sitting there with a really, really bad hangover. He's not a Doctor Who fan. And I right. made him listen to all of these stories from episode one of Storm Warning to episode four of Minuet in Hell. And that's what he'd get for making me have to do the drive pretty much single-handedly without any consideration for my thoughts, my feelings. I was just, oh... I mean, honestly, Dave, I am, I, oh. Kenny and I have many things in common, but one of them, one of the strongest ones is that we both bear a grudge. <laughs> we can both bear a grudge. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, all in all, I've thoroughly enjoyed uh, looking back to these. I mean, really, I mean, that's 20 years oh, of Paul and and, finish. Yeah, and the, the main thing we have to emphasize is he's still doing it and he's still happy and he's, you know, and they're still coming up with good stories for him. So, and one thing I'm interested in is that the next series of Stranded is going to feature the Brigadier, but a younger Brigadier than yep. he was when the Doctor met him in Minuet in Hell. So I wonder if that will be addressed. That'll be one thing I'll be... My 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 fan continuity radar will be tuned towards to see how they handle that. Absolutely. And of course, it's been written by one of our emailers there. That's been written by Roy Gill. So we will find oh, really? out what Roy has oh, done. Terrific. Yes, Roy is the writer. Sure. I love Roy. Hello, Roy. I know you'll be listening, as always. So yes, that's been... Quite exciting just to to think, you know, it's all those adventures later. I mean, someday I really should work out how many episodes Paul McGann or even stories Paul McGann has done. I, yes. I'm sure there'll be charts out there. You'd think as the big Finnish historian stroke statistician, I would know these things, but that's one that I don't actually know. How bizarre. Because I remember this yes. really, really setting us up and thinking, oh, because we've got the ending bit where it mentions that Charlie's dead and the, the demons won't take her. And it sets things right. up. Yeah. Quite nicely for the next run. And I just remember being this being finished and thinking, oh, I want more, which is always a good sign. Definitely. Yes, well, I've thoroughly enjoyed. Dave, thank you for joining me this afternoon or this evening it's or this pleasure, morning. Pleasure. It's a pleasure. Never a chore. Really good listening to them again. And I'm just sort of, yeah, reassessing and, and addressing it. But, you know, although all my complaints about them being a little bloated and stuff, I definitely enjoyed them. And it was nice to sort of, as I said at the start, to have a few sort of nostalgic memories sort of triggered of, you know, of what was going on and where I was and all that. Yeah, I mean, these these are really important to me personally because in many ways the season actually changed my life in a lot of ways. That might sound over dramatic, but let me explain. Because okay. I enjoyed the season so much, I started. I hadn't done a fanzine in years, so I decided I'm going to do a fanzine about the making of these audios because I'd enjoyed them so much. And I'd known Gary Russell on and off over the years, and got in touch with him and said I'd like to do a fanzine. It's going to be called the Meganzine and looked at the making of all these stories so spoke with each of the writers you know, used my contacts um, got in touch with Michael Sheard contacted India Fisher through her agent got an interview with her and called it Charlie Says which DWM used as well so obvious and and it really did change things doing this fanzine because I just loved it so much you know, got David Darlington commented on why this is one of the greatest Doctor Who theme versions ever and Davey of course would later edit it for Big Finish to get it into the version that we still have used nowadays my friend Sally, who's not a Doctor Who fan, she listened to it and said it was really good. She loved Storm Warning. Generally, it just enthused me. And then, of course, 
this was followed up with another another edition of the fanzine, although I changed it to the finished product. From there, I just sort of kept going doing the big finish fanzines over the years. And then things changed. I was invited to do Big Finish Companion Volume 2. And then when we lost Paul Sprague, so tragically young, I was asked to carry on doing Vortex. And I'm still doing it now. And it's yeah, and it's all because this series got me so enthused. I wanted to write about Big Finish. And genuinely, it has changed my life, and in, and in such a lovely, positive way. Absolutely, I, I, I think I've still got my copy of the Magazine somewhere. Oh, um, I need to I dig out that for a picture. Back in the day. Yeah, I'll see, I'll see if I can find it. It's not the sort of thing that would have thrown away, so it'll be around somewhere. That's lovely to hear. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Absolutely. Right, so we're going to finish up now. Thank you for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time on the next episode. Um, Kenny, what are we going to play out with today? That's super appropriate. Well. This has been all about the Eighth Doctor, who's wonderful. You can see where this is going, can't you, listeners? It's Eighth Wonder, and I'm not scared, which is appropriate, because with the Eighth Doctor at her side, we're never scared of the monsters. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Goodbye, everyone. Take care.